Like they've, they've kept it together with glue by making sure we're not breaking any laws, but it's time for us to mature. We need a builder. We need somebody who loves yeah. to build. And the reason I say this is important is because especially if you're looking for leadership, the people who are out there looking for jobs as leaders categorize themselves as these things, right? We hear them using these words when we're doing our pre-screen calls with them saying, I like to build. I'm bored where I'm at. I'm running a program. fine. It can run itself. They pay me a lot of money to just let it run. I want to go build something again. Or, man, I've been building programs for the last decade. Welcome to Sustainable Compliance, a podcast on everything privacy and information security compliance, brought to you by Wired Relations. Hi, Jared. Hi, good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, it's good afternoon here and good morning in your end. Jared, thank you. Um, how, how many privacy professionals have you placed in jobs over the years? Uh, a lot. The, the total number is probably going to exceed over 2,000. Um, I've placed north of 5,000 people over the last 23 years in full-time contract, contract to hire positions. Um, I first started my career in e-discovery which is an awesome industry. And and we still do tons of work in that industry. And around like 2012, 13, we really started diving deep into cybersecurity and uh, data privacy and protection. Uh, And we still, those are our three core verticals here at Tree Staffing Partners, e-discovery, cybersecurity, and data privacy and protection. Over the last five years, really since GDPR rollout, privacy has just been a huge piece of our growth. Uh, we're in Inc. 5000 fastest growing company three of the last six years. We've grown by close to 500% in the last three. And that's largely due to the work we're doing in privacy. So we're really excited about having a really meaningful impact on, on that community. And the numbers keep going up. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, if I want to find out what it takes to uh, become and stay a valuable privacy pro, you're kind of the one to talk to. I'm one of the people to talk to. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, there's a, there's a wealth of resources in the privacy community. One of the best things about the privacy community is that they're a very warm, welcoming and generous culture of people. I think that's probably why they gravitated to privacy because they all come from very different backgrounds. And, um, and I'd like to think of myself as warm, welcoming and and generous. Uh, We'll see. You guys can be the judge. Um, But I think that, I think that, um, yeah, uh, one of the reasons why we have um, a unique perspective on the marketplace is because unlike any internal recruiters at major Fortune 500 companies, you know, they're, they're there to recruit you to their company. The people that we represent, we're here to give them as many options as possible that make sense for what their desires are and what our customers' needs might be. And yeah. so uh, that curation of really talking to the hiring managers and the candidates and understanding the broad trending within their social consciousness does allow us to have a really unique perspective here at True to help guide people in terms of here's where things are heading, here's where things are trending, here's what people want, this is what they're not, what they don't really want. And, um, you know, everybody thought like you know, everyone in 
was going to need like analytics and it was going to move to privacy mm. engineering. And a year ago we were saying privacy engineering is the next big thing. And then this recession fear global, what are we doing? We don't really know happened in the fourth mm. quarter. And so the dynamics have changed and we've seen a lot of engineers getting laid off and people maybe not making those commitments to the business that they might have. Um, so yeah. it, it is a tempestuous job market. Um, it changes every three to six months, which is really hard, I think, for quite frankly, older generations to wrap their minds around because they're mm. very used to, and even I am at my age, and I'm a Gen, um, a Gen X, you know, yeah. when things collapsed in 08 and we had the Great Recession, it took almost a decade for things to really recalibrate, right? 2019 was like one of the best economic years in the world. And then COVID, Ukraine, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, where is the money going to come from? What are the priorities? We're becoming less global and more insular. And how does that affect hiring, firing? How does it affect laws? And I'll say this, yeah, for better or for worse, what it's caused in privacy is an immense fracturing of regulation. Yeah. There is no one ring to rule them all. We thought it would be GDPR, but it's not. And so that nuance creates jobs. I'm so looking forward to diving into this. Uh, but I'll just introduce you a little bit more than I did by saying, uh, <laughs> hey, Jared. <laughs> so, Jared uh, Kaseklia, did I butcher your last name? Kaseklia. <laughs> Yeah, CEO and founder of uh, True Staffing Partners, a company um, dedicated to talent within data privacy, cybersecurity, and e-discovery, as you said. Um, and sure. you've, you've been placing, yeah, as you said, over 5,000 professionals over the years. So so I, I, I think you're the, the, the guy to talk to about this. Um, but the first thing I'd like to ask you is, what is, what is the job market in data privacy like right now? Yeah, a, a little hesitant, if I'm honest, mm -hmm. right? There was a, a big pullback in the fourth quarter from the momentum that we were seeing from the first three quarters, which was monumental momentum, right? Yeah. Part of that pullback is because there are just people are getting laid off and they're not adding new headcount. But the thing to keep in mind is that doesn't mean they're not hiring. It means they're not adding direct full-time headcount. A lot of our jobs right now are contract. Mm. A lot of them right now are contract to hire. Three out of every four privacy jobs that we've received since the first of the year have been contract or contract to hire versus a full-time direct hire. They've also been in the middle of the market. Program managers, program directors, privacy analysts, uh, one trust specialization, those kinds of people, not at the high end and mm. not at the entry level. So kind of that two to seven years of experience is the sweet spot right now. That's been the sweet spot. That will continue to be the sweet spot. That's where the industry is going to expand horizontally, aggressively over the next few years. But the way in which they do that is industry specific. And the modality mm. in which they do that is industry specific. So what I say to job seekers, specifically ones that have been part of rifts or layoffs, be open-minded yeah. to contract and contract to hire because that may be the only way that they can get you in the door right now. And people mm. that are um, only going to take full-time jobs that, you know, that have full benefit packages and all that, you know, first of all, talk to the third parties and see what benefits they might offer. You might be surprised. Like my company offers a 401k match that that's hundred percent after the first year, we match up to 4%. Um, that's pretty rare. We offer health benefits and all that after 90 days. So, you know, we offer 
cancer insurance and like all these perks, right? Things that you mm. would normally get as benefits, but we're a third party. But, you know, we have tons of people out working for customers, either on-prem or remotely, because that's what they have budgetary approval for, not to add headcount to payroll. And it seems kind of antithetical, but the way that that uh, revenue hits the bottom line for big business is very different and it affects the stock prices and it affects investor analysis. And so you have to keep that in mind as a job seeker when the market shifts and the market yeah. has shifted. So that's the big change right now. There are less jobs than there were six months ago, but there's a levy building, right? Because mm. what we're predicting and, and what, and I'm usually right, is sometime around second quarter, maybe it'll take till the beginning of the third, but I doubt it. This levy's going to break. There's going to be yeah. demand. There's going to be need. There's new European regulation coming out. People are going to need to restaff up. They will probably still use a heavy amount of contractors because it will be a lot of doer work, right? Execution level work in the operations and legal departments. Um, and it'll be a healthy market again. Mm. Right now, it's a little slower. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing a sort of a, a, a dip. Um, I know last year you said you'd never seen higher demand for privacy and security professionals, but that's cooled off a bit. But you're seeing it coming, it's not coming a back it's a fairly soon. So let me explain the variable that's maybe the most important in this. When we were placing privacy professionals in the first, second, and third quarter of last year, the speed of hire, which is from the time I send a resume to the time mm -hmm. somebody accepts a verbal offer, was 12 to 14 days for a middle market professional. Now just think about that for mm -hmm. a second. 12 to 14 days. So people are getting hired and resigning at this pace. Yeah, that's and that's fast. creating more openings, right? What happened mm -hmm. in October is Facebook laid off 11,000 people and everybody got spooked. The, literally, the whole world got spooked, tech specifically. Mm -hmm. They'd had close to three quarters of failure and stock performance. I mean, stocks at 50, 60% of valuation in peak of 2021, and they needed to create profitability. So what did they do? They fired people. And what yeah. did other people do? They fired people. 6% of staff, 10% of staff, Coinbase, Microsoft, Twitter, right? This is to create profitability and margins for their business, not because all these people, God bless them, were underperformers. And a lot mm. of them were privacy professionals. But it also yeah. means that the speed at which the new jobs get filled started to slow down for two reasons. One, all of a sudden, the hiring managers are saying to themselves, well, all these people are going to flood the market. It's going to be six months of firing. I'm going to be able to go in there and get a deal on somebody that I might otherwise have never been able to go and grab up. Mm. Do, do you, do you, I'm rolling my eyes here. So for my listeners, I'm rolling <laughs> my eyes here, right? So because that's not what's happening, right? These mm. out-of-work employees were very well paid. They were fired because they were well paid. They aren't living paycheck to paycheck. The world isn't the same as it was before the pandemic. They haven't been fired no. since before the pandemic. Working from home has changed everything. And they're not just going to start caving on flexibility, what they were getting paid, how they were being treated, what the culture of the company is. They're not going to, they're not going to, uh, uh, take a consolation prize on any of their demands there. And so the employers think it's an employer's market and the candidates think it's a candidate's market. And so what happens? <laughs> Stasis, yeah. right? Things yeah. slow down. And so mm. when you slow down, yeah, the volume has dipped, but what's really dipped is how fast everything was moving. And because the speed is changing, 
the rate at which people are changing jobs and thus new jobs becoming available is also slowing down. So that to me is really what's been the most dynamic shift. It's not just like everybody shut down their yeah. jobs because I've got tons of jobs. It's just that people are taking a lot longer to make decisions and candidates are much choosier about what they're going to say yes to. Is there a difference between uh, the US and, and, and Europe? I know you you place people in, in, in both um, regions. Definitely. Yeah, we do about 20, 25% of our business in Europe um, and mm. a lot of it in the UK. <laughs> and I would say that there is a huge difference. So <laughs> here are a couple of differences. The first of which is the Europeans prefer a much harder line between work and business, um, between mm. work, uh, work and life, uh, between business yeah. and play. Right. And it's reflected in your privacy laws. Right. You have like almost reciprocal privacy laws. You guys own yeah. your data. The companies own the data over here on the other side of the ocean. So that alone, I think, is a signal of also then what ripples into working from home. Like Americans, almost 80 percent of our job seekers, the number one thing is working from home. Mm -hmm. In Europe, you guys tend to go, you like going into the office. You like going in. It's a separation. Yeah. It's like a clean break. And so there's a, there is a cultural difference there, right? I would also say this. There is a, a greater sense of commoditization of privacy jobs in Europe than in America. Because in America, the nature of our laws allow us to wield data to impact the business in a way that is far mm -hmm. more liberal than what is being allowed in Europe. And so yeah. in Europe, a lot of the DPO jobs you know, are paying somewhere in that like 70 to 100, you know, um, EU uh, um, um, euro. Yeah, But euros. In America, the, the, the DPO is like a, a non sequitur. Like what you really want is to be the CPO. Mm. And the CPO is driving all sorts of dynamic business change, innovation, accountability, <laughs> influence, and things that this DPO is really just holding the company accountable for regulatory compliance. And so yeah. when you're just in that regulatory compliance pocket and you're not moving into how you're impacting other parts of the business, you're not going to be compensated as much as maybe some of your peers would be in a different regulatory environment. And that's what's unique about the American marketplace. So there are lots of different jobs in America. And that's not to say that Europeans aren't hiring on a global level out of Europe to do that kind of work because they are and we fill those jobs all the mm. time. But the volume of those jobs tends to be in the States. I'd like to uh, pick your brain on what to do to get a career in privacy. Um, and can, can we start with those who are just starting out? Um, if, if, if I was to start out in data privacy today, wanting to make a career, what kind of starting position should I be looking for? Yeah. So the IAPP is the gold standard. They've got a new certification that's called their founders or found foundation certification. I think it's founders. Uh, mm. my, I had my entire staff take it. So I've got 27 people that work for me, not including all the contractors that work for all of our <laughs> customers. And yeah. those 27 people all took it, all passed it. They all passed it before I did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's really like a great way for you to go, okay, I want to go deep. Yeah. Because if you don't like see all this and ingest all this and like ah, start to salivate, maybe you shouldn't go into privacy. I don't know. Um mm. But it's a good, it's a great, and it's, and it's affordable, right? It's, it's not like the CIPP certifications that in, require a little more financial investment. Yeah. But that's what's next, right? I would go get your CIPP 
US or E. If you're mm-hmm. in Asia, you're A. Um, and and if you're a lawyer, that's where you should start. Because as a lawyer, you need to know the law. And that's what it's going to yeah. give you is the what. Uh, but then I'd also, if you know, say you could go through the back door and get your CIPM, which is um, Program Management Certification, which is really more about how to operationalize privacy for the business. And that's a, also a great way in the door. The CIPT, if you're like, I'm a propeller head, I'm all tech, like I just want to dig, 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 dig on the tech, I'm an engineer, start with the CIPT, but you may also want to get some of the others eventually Mm. just for leverage and credibility, whether it's for your job search or for whatever, but, uh, or or for promotability or uh, mobility within an organization. They're great, man. I mean, they're training, they're the Mm. best, go to them, start there. My vice president of business development, Rachel Hare, got her CIPM. You know, we have a, like a little baby privacy program here, but nothing like, you know, Amazon yeah. or Google or you know, anything like that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she passed it with flying colors and studied hard yeah. and like now has the vernacular with which to speak with confidence and influence others um, as an expert in this, um, that particular subject matter expertise. So I'd start there. Um, the other thing I would recommend is, Go get all the free training for the tech that's online. Like you can get all your one trust training online, trust art, big ID, wire wheel. I mean, look, mm. if you have zero experience in the space, the number one selling point you're going to have is that you have invested in yourself because you're essentially asking an employer to invest in you. And if you want someone to invest in you, you need to say, well, what are you doing to invest in yourself? And if you're like, I took all the one trust certs, I took a wire wheel solar, I went to the one trust conference in Atlanta. I went to the GPS conference at IEPP and just listened in on these five sessions. And here's what I learned about them. And you can unpack that on an interview, man, someone will give you a shot in this industry. I'll give you a shot. I'll represent you if that's your story. And you've done that due diligence and you put in the hard work and you're like, I just need somebody to believe in me and get me a job. That's what we do here, man. We believe in people and we get them jobs, but you got to do the work, right? We have a lot of people that come and I give them this advice and they come back to me in a year and they haven't done anything. And they're like, well, you know, I volunteered for this thing that we did at work, which is great. And that's another thing you can do too, which is volunteer your current job. Like who runs privacy where I'm at? How can I help the mm. program here? How can I get involved? What can I do? Could I build a da- dashboard for you that creates some kind of relevant accountability or automation that helps the business, right? And in terms of a, of a first uh, job, what's a, what's a good sort of entry level position to get? Well, if you're a lawyer, there's a lot of different ways to get in as a lawyer. One is just to be a contracts attorney that understands all the regulations and knows how to like review and update contracts and give contract advice on privacy, third-party vendor management. That's one way in. Another way in is just a global regulatory guru, like building programs and making the compliant with GDPR, or, um, PIPL, or you know anything. Colorado, Virginia, you know all the U.S. fractured states, California, CPRA 2.0. Um, that's a way in. Um, another way is on the technical side. So mm. right now people are um, either building or licensing enterprise technology, um, being somebody that knows how to wield enterprise technology, whether it's through installation, workflow creation, evangelizing use, right? You only get what you put in, you know, an AI and a, and a database is, is like a relationship, right? You only get what you put in. <laughs> so... Mm. That kind of space, there's room there. And then operational leaders, right? If you're in governance or risk or other areas of compliance and you're saying to yourself, I'm bored, I've hit the ceiling, e-discovery, we have a lot of transients that we pipe piper from e-discovery into data privacy. Because, you know, look, they're building these databases for litigation with short timelines, high stakes, 
you know, a lot of that can be applied in a more nimble way to how they organize and deal with data or how they do a PII breach review or mm. how they're doing a data mapping for a privacy impact assessment, all of those kinds of specializations. There are liked, like skills that can be transferred in knowing what those are and how to talk about them on an interview and knowing what you want to do to leverage with them and what that application would be to leverage them, right? So now you've done the homework and you're connecting the dots from your previous experience to the homework you've done, even though you've never actually connected the dots on the job, just your ability to draw those dots together on an interview, or at least for me to do that for you and tell a narrative to one of my clients, that's why they should invest in you, is, is sometimes the difference between you getting the job and somebody else not, right? So mm. it, it's diligence and then it's dot connecting. Do you do you see a lot of people transitioning from another career or is it mostly uh, sort of young uh, people coming up from... from no, uh, we have people coming from e-discovery, from security mm -hmm. that like got thrown privacy at them because they were in security. They didn't know where else to put it five years ago and kind of fell in love with it as a different art. And it is a different art. It's like yin and yang to some degree or um, yeah. as my friend Jody Daniels said, it's she said, he said. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, from all over risk, uh, lawyers that have other practices, IP lawyers, patent lawyers, um, uh, compliance lawyers, lots of people for compliance mm. that want to move into a specialization, uh, opportunistically, which is smart, but I don't see people coming out of nowhere, Jacob, <laughs> there's some, there's some yeah. reason, right? Yeah. They have some sort of uh, competencies that they bring. Which, which, um, which sh skills would you would you want to build when you when you once you get your foot in privacy? Well, I'm going to give you the answer that I think most of my customers would answer, mm -hmm. which I think is relationship building, mm -hmm. which is something that people have a hard time, I think, giving demonstrative examples of on interviews. <laughs> Yeah. coming prepared with like, how do you really build a relationship? I mean, like I could mm -hmm. tell you stories of how I first met some people that 20 years later I'm doing business with. And <laughs> I mean, even today, this, uh, one of my favorite customers called me, it was eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, if he's calling me at eight o'clock in the morning, I should probably pick it up. Um, <laughs> I'm driving my kids to school. I'd send him pictures of my kids, you know, we're, that we're friends like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we spent five minutes having him interview my kids for a little while and, uh, and what they had to say about daddy. And, you know, I remember when I met this guy in my office, he's wearing a black suit and a red shirt with a black tie. I thought he was going to like start dealing blackjack at the <laughs> interview table with me for representation. And uh, I just fell in love with him. And like, we've just done so much business ever since. And, you know, how, yeah. do I, how did I build that relationship? I gave somebody a shot who... Other people wouldn't when I saw mm. a lot of heart in somebody. It didn't pay off for me at the time. Uh, I wound up not getting him a job. He wound up taking some other job. And then the other mm. job he took, which was the job he's still in 16 years later, he's hired close to 35 people for me over the last decade. I was just, uh, I was just wondering because uh, I, I, had, I was in a discussion yesterday with, with a group of, of privacy uh, professionals in a, here in, in, in Europe And and I was uh, I was kind of proposing that um, that legal knowledge might not be sort of the bottleneck of privacy uh, going going It's forward. I was not the bottleneck. Had kind of a lot of pushback on that, saying basically what you're saying here that 
building relationship, being able to cooperate with with your organization is is kind of um, the, the way to the, the way to go to in the future. However, how, how do you see sort of hard skills, technical skills, um, legal skills compared to those softer skills, um, relationships, so on and so forth, uh, but building relationships. Well, look, what, right what, now it's, it's a, it's an ecosystem with high demand and not enough supply. So you got to yeah. have something, right? People aren't just going to sure. hire you because you're a great relationship builder at walking dogs, right? Like you've mm. got to, you've got to have some kind of connectivity if you're looking to break in. But if we're talking about where most of the jobs are, they're not there. As I mentioned before, mm. people aren't hiring people with no experience. They're hiring people with experience. It's just a matter of how that experience can be harnessed and or grown and cultivated. And the real answer to your question is they should have it all, Jacob, right? They should have the legal, yeah. they should have the technical, <laughs> they should be relationship builders. And when you read most job descriptions, whether they're for privacy analysts at the semi-entry level or program directors at the high end of the middle market, they all say they want all of this. They all say they want yeah. everything, right? But they can't get everything. So when you read a job description that says you got to have all this and you're like, well, that's not me. Don't assume that you're not going to be competitive if you're a seven out of 10. They're not hiring 10 out of 10s. They can't get them all. Or they make an offer to two 10 out of 10s and they lose them to two other companies that pay $10,000 more. And eventually they're like, well, we need to hire somebody. We're not going to get that yeah. person. We keep losing people because our salary is not enough and we're not going to move our salary. So we need to lower our expectations or we need to raise our salary because we want that person that keeps getting away and we're going to pay more, more for it. And I got to tell you, it goes both ways. It goes both yeah. ways. Yeah. Uh what 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 makes the deal come through when when in a hiring process well look people don't want to know what you know they want to know what you've done mm. so the guidance i would give to that question would be the people that do well on interviews are able to articulate what they've done they're able to tell story on interview with beginning middle and end star yeah. technique there are lots of ways you know codified ways to do this. But those are the people that are winning the jobs because you can talk about what you know all day long, but hiring managers want to hear about how it's actually been applied or how you would apply it, but ideally how it's been applied, right? For experienced professionals in the business, you've got to be able to talk about what you've done, not mm. just what you know, right? Like, hey, we did GDPR and we handled the, all these regulations and, you know, these were the, the outcomes and, and all that's great, but like, okay, rewind. Like, where was your contribution and how did you impact the business and give me step by step so that I know if I put you in front of one of my stakeholders, you could articulate it in the same way. So you got to be able to tell story on interviews. So whenever you, you write a skill on your resume, you should have at least a, a story or two about how you applied it. Well, look, the rule of thumb is you don't put anything on your resume that you're not prepared to talk about on an interview. So there's that. Yeah. So if you put it there, you better be prepared to talk about it. And you're, you're right. Somebody will noodle on some weird little detail that you thought was insignificant, but somehow resonates with them. So assume everything's going to be read. On the mm. side, I'll be really honest with you, Jacob. I think most of my customers read the first three quarters of the first page thoroughly. Then they skim the rest. If you've got more than three pages, your resume is too long. So if you've got five, six, seven, eight, assume they didn't even look at that. And mm. then they want to see you if you've got what they needed in the first three quarters of the page. Most of yeah. their instinct is going to come from this. Resumes are for most people are going to be a, can they tell me what I want to hear? Do they not make typos and mistakes? Does it look elegant and professional? And I don't think most people are like noodling in on details. But things they will noodle on that might be buried in the bottom of the resume, where you went to school, mm. 
did you go to school? Where you went to school? Because people are always looking for alma maters or my brother went to Stanford and all of a sudden you better be prepared to talk about Stanford, right? So these <laughs> yeah. kinds of things are important. Um, be choosy about what you put on your resume. Yeah. And, and how do, when, when you're in the job, so in, in, in general, how do organizations evaluate data privacy professionals? What are the criterias for success? Yeah, I've seen a lot of my contemporaries and peers writing about this online lately because a lot of them are out of work. Mm. And I really, and so they're giving guidance and advice out on social media. And, and, and a lot of it is really good wisdom. Here's the issue I have with a lot of that wisdom. A lot of these hypothetical questions are, are, are suggestive of hypothetical answers, right? Like, tell me the difference. What do you think the difference is between privacy and security? Now, look, if someone asked me that question, here's how I would answer. Mm. Well, security is the bar on the windows and privacy are the shades. There's only so many bars you can put on a window that you know are going to hold the window. But damn, you can put a lot of shades on that window. Can, <laughs> there are a lot of yeah. shades of gray that you could put in front of that window. That would be my mm. answer. Is that, I mean, it's a terrible question, right? The real question should be, tell me how you've used privacy in your job and how you've used cybersecurity in your job and how those applications were different on the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? But you get into these esoteric questions with candidates on interviews. And so you start pulling out the wrong things that you that aren't really helpful that are psychosomatic and you know esoteric and you know i get it a lot of big tech runs their interview process with like you know the round manhole cover stupid thing you know and i just don't think that's what privacy professionals want what privacy professionals mm -hmm. want when they're hiring is Tell me stories about what you've done. Tell me the impact you've made to the business. Tell me how you've evangelized. How did you win over someone, an attorney or somebody in the business that was not wanting to comply? Someone in marketing, someone in HR who didn't want mm. to follow these procedures or didn't want to use this technology in order to create a greater, greater compliance dynamic out of their business or wanted to use data in a way that was going to breach regulatory compliance. How did you stop them from going off the ledge? How did you, or did you fail? And then how did you deal with the outcomes of that failure? I, you know, it all comes back to that. And so if you can tell those kinds mm. of stories and you can talk about your experience intelligently, that's what hiring managers are really looking for. Having said that, what's going to happen in the next few years are there's going to be baselines before they even care to investigate that. Mm. I've got one customer who's like, look, if they don't have their CIPP US, we're not interested. Don't even show us the resume. Yeah. We're not interested. Like that is mm. that stamp will give us enough to say, okay, we can move on to the second set of questions. And the reason for that, Jacob, may be because the people in power don't understand privacy. And so if the IAPP is the gold standard and they don't understand it and they have no one there to validate it, then they're going to use that as the validation to say, okay, give us that. We trust that. And then now we need to bring somebody in that can do all this other stuff that we want to do. So th does that mean, Jared, that I, I think what I've seen is that a lot of people without sort of um, real um, resume competences, so to speak, have gotten a have gotten a chance in in privacy because we we sort of needed them and thought, well, if you can do administration in 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 one organization, you can do 
privacy here. Does that window, will that be shut in a, in a, in a few years? And will you no, it should be go more up. sort of? It should go up because it's, it's nil right now, Jacob. It's nil right mm. now. Because businesses are only going to invest in what's absolutely mission critical right now. And look, I'll be really honest with you. My e-discovery business has gone up over the last few months and privacy business has mm -hmm. kind of stayed the same because people yeah. are just hesitating. Corporations, which are where most of the privacy jobs are, are hesitating on headcount versus yeah. law firms and service providers, which is where most of the jobs are in the e-discovery business. They're like, shit's on fire and everybody's suing each other. Let's go. So it's a completely different set of hiring managers. You know, there are no corporate jobs in e-discovery. Very few. Privacy, mm. that's where all the jobs are. And all those yeah. people are hesitating and hedging their bets and, you know, thinking creatively. And so they're not going to groom and train entry-level people. They want impact players. And, and that's the yeah. real change for the next six to maybe, I think, 12 months is they're going to have impact players. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be more difficult to get your foot in if you don't have the uh, experience or, or the training in privacy? Well, what's the excuse for not going and getting the training? And if the excuse is I can't afford it, then I redirect all of our listeners to the True Staffing Partner Scholarship Program, which just went live this week. The IAPP is giving away a GDPR package of free training. It's worth thousands of dollars. We've got dozen software providers in the legal technology space and cybersecurity, data privacy, and e-discovery. We've got ACEDS, who's the gold standard in e-discovery for um, non-vocational technology certification and training. They're brilliant. Um, I mean, there's a lot there. We're giving away $300,000 in free training and education. So if the excuse is I can't afford it, no excuses, apply to our there's no program. excuse. <laughs> Bring it on. No excuse. We're no here more. to help you, right? We're here to help you because that's that's a problem I can solve, right? We've been doing this for mm. 12 years. It's our 12th year of the scholarship program. We're giving away more this year than we've ever given away before. We're giving away a free, uh, not a free, a, a paid internship. A pay, you'll get paid, mm. paid internship at one of our service providers in um, New York City. And uh, it's it's a really exciting thing. So I get it. Some people can't afford it. And that's the excuse. No excuses apply to the scholarship program and let us know. Like, I need, I need the, the, this is about, I cannot afford this. And tell us why you're so passionate about privacy and why we should invest in you. Why one, one of our mm. sponsors should give you the award. Um, all of this is done agnostically. So we have an advisory board of CPOs and litigation support managers and directors and general counsel who all review all the applicants completely blind um, based completely on essay and answering a few like uh, multiple choice questions. So I encourage everybody out there if that's the reason, but if that's not the reason, there's no excuse <laughs> because if you really want it, you'll go do it. You'll, you'll say, I've taken the training. I failed the first time. I didn't pass. Here's where I think I went wrong. I'm studying to take it again. That fortitude now speaks to your character more than the actual education that you're going to get at the end of the day, which I think is what hiring managers are more interested in. And the these um, the IAPP certifications in 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 your point of view that that is the golden standard. That's the that's the way to go if 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 you want your foot in unequivocally. And the reason is not because I believe that. The reason mm. is because it's the only certifications, except for maybe one trust, mm. that hiring managers who engage our services 
require, not desire, but require, require. when submitting applicants. That's why. Mm. Uh, one, one, right now we're moving to towards the end. Um, there's a there's a difference in maturity of privacy programs out there. Um, some are very mature, some are less so. How does that affect um, recruiting? And should you, as a as a candidate, does it does it matter, or should you just get some? Um, some uh, some 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 knowledge and experience or or is it does it matter whether it's with a mature program or not yes it matters let me rephrase that finding out where they are in their maturity model as a job seeker matters articulating where you're at in a maturity model as a hiring manager matters doesn't necessarily mm. matter that you're looking for a builder or a grower, not a maintainer. I mean, maybe, maybe not. There are a lot of other variables that may come into play, but I think you got to know what you're getting into. So if you read um, my organization's data privacy jobs report for 2022, one of the sections was guidance um, to give hiring managers to approach this new post-pandemic job market and all of the things that have, have been affected as a result. And one of the things was really speaking and categorizing the maturity model of your privacy program. And we put them into four buckets. So you've got a mm-hmm. builder, you've got a grower, you've got a maintainer, and then you've got a disruptor. And so I encourage my customers to categorize them as one of those things. If there's a fifth category, I'm open-minded to hear anybody that thinks there's a fifth. But I think it's one of yeah. those four, right? At least from a job seeker's perspective and say, this is where we're at. <laughs> you know, we had a customer come and say, we've got this privacy program. It worked for us here in the United States. We're now in Latin America, Europe, and Asia. It's not working for us anymore. They need a disruptor. They need someone to come in and break what they, they've done and rebuild it, right? We've got other customers yeah. that are yeah. like, I gave this, uh, you know, um, attorney in the general counsel's office, all the privacy stuff. They don't really know anything about operational privacy. Like they've, they've kept it together with glue by making sure we're not breaking any laws, but it's time for us to mature. We need a builder. We need somebody who loves to build. And the reason I say this is important is because especially if you're looking for leadership, the people who are out there looking for jobs as leaders categorize themselves as these things, right? We hear them using these words when we're doing our pre-screen calls with them saying, I like to build, I'm bored where I'm at. I'm running a program, it's fine, it can run itself. They pay me a lot of money to just let it run. I wanna go build something again. Or man, I've been building programs for the last decade. I need to go to a big company where I can go like coast for a little while, focus on one thing, not the whole thing. And, and, And understanding that mindset and understanding, okay, well, you could go do that at a big tech company. You could go do that at a really big healthcare insurance company. You may not be able to go do that at a bank. You might be surprised. You know, banks run pretty lean in terms of talent. So mm-hmm. you might be able to do that in retail as much as you want to work for a big retail because you've got a passion for fashion, whatever it is, right? Um, so yeah, I think those questions matter. And there are a million other questions um, if you read the data privacy jobs report that we give guidance and wisdom on as to this is how to approach and have a healthier interview process so that you at least know whether you're aligned before you get there and you can address yeah. the dissonance in the interview process as opposed to what usually happens is you show up to work and you're like, oh, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be, right? Yeah. And I'll put a link to your to, to the 
true staffing knowledge base in the uh, in the in the show notes. That's Thank really a, a treasure trove of um, of great information Thank on you. on what to look for. Um, Jared, where where can people go to get more um, information? Yeah, about so you and and, and your on company. The web. TRUstaffingpartners.com, truestaffingpartners.com. The first five letters are T-R-U-S-T. That is not by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Although we put <laughs> that long before we were in data privacy. It just all kind of worked out. Um, so, uh, yes, that's the best way. You can find all of our jobs there in the hot job section. And if you're looking yeah. to hire, you can click a box and um, you know, get redirected to us there and then visit us on LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the social media for professionals. We can all embrace and accept that. Now we spend all our time there. We produce content like this and a lot more in written verbal video and other form. You can find out about the scholarship program there. Um, follow us on LinkedIn, TRU staffing partners. And, um, you know, we welcome questions, thoughts, feedback on this contrarian opinions and perspectives are always welcome. Uh, yeah. and, and I appreciate so much you having me on the show. I, I really do. Thank you. And I just thank you for, um, for putting your knowledge out there. It really is. Um, I, I, I can only, um, encourage people to, uh, follow both you and, and, um, and, and true staffing partners. Thanks for, um, for being with, uh, with me today. You've been listening to sustainable compliance, a podcast by wired relations. We want to lead the discussion on data sustainability. If you want to join the conversation, go to wiredrelations.com forward slash data sustainability. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>